0: So we're at the end of our series. I felt really privileged when Pastor was like, so you are going to finish off the John series. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. Because it's like, it's the end. And I'm like, I get to, I get to like, Pastor was like the book, the 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 uh, bookend here. And I get to be the bookend over here. I feel super special. And so is great. Um, I also feel like this is very fitting uh, for this gospel to get to go over the last chapter because really the gospel of John in its entirety for me is like the death and resurrection of our Lord. It's a word of power that never stops speaking. You cannot talk enough about Jesus' death and resurrection because it's just always full of power. In the same way, the Gospel of John, you can read as many times as you want, and there's just a power to it that never, ever stops speaking. This is also kind of like the finale because we're in chapter 21, if you want to get your Bibles ready. Um, For me, when I was envisioning like, oh, we're like at the last, like I get to to preach the finale. This is going to be great. It's like the Red Bluff fireworks, except better, which is not hard to do. (laughs) burn (laughs) except last year was actually pretty good i was like wow this is actually the fireworks are going longer than three minutes it's good (laughs) so this is your first time with us enjoy you get to be at the finale of john's gospel one of the most beautiful books in the bible you can possibly read so with that we're going to enter into john chapter 21 together starting with verse one after these things Whenever I read the Bible, I always stop at words that arrest my attention. Sometimes it's because I'm picking up on the Holy Spirit intent of that scripture, or sometimes I'm picking up on something very personal that the Holy Spirit is trying to say to me, and the scripture is just a springboard to get to me. The difference between your personal devotional life and when I get up or pastor, one of us pastors gets up to do this is we have to discern the difference between what Jesus is saying to us personally through the Bible in our private life versus when we get up here and we're preaching the public word of God in which we're trying to understand what was the human author, the Holy Spirit inspiring the human author of the scripture trying to say to the body of Christ. And when I was reading this and I was saying, Lord, please help me to hear what you are saying through the scriptures to your people versus what you might be saying the scriptures to me personally, I got stuck on that after these things. And I asked myself, what things? What things is John referring to? And it's not hard to tell because the chapter before tells us these things are Jesus's post crucifixion appearances. That Jesus had died a horrible, horrible death, but not unique among mankind. Many people have been crucified before him and after. He had died a horrible, horrible, gruesome, disgusting death. And then he appeared again. And human history has been changed ever since. Which means he wasn't just a man rising. Jesus Christ did something to humanity and all of human history. And it is still rippling through us to this day until he returns. In chapter 20, you can read it for yourself. That's not my chapter for this morning, but you can go back. In chapter 20, Jesus appeared to Mary, then to the disciples, and then lastly to Thomas the doubter. And these were not just appearances. But because John, who's the master of Old Testament symbols fulfilled in Christ, we also recognize that each of these appearances are symbolic of the great events throughout salvation history and scripture. His appearance to Mary is not by accident in a garden in which she actually uh, uh, mistakes Jesus for the gardener. His appearance to Mary in the garden symbolizes that Jesus has restored the original garden lost. His appearance to the disciples in a closed dwelling symbolizes that God is now able again to indwell closed hearts. Walks right on through. And finally, his appearance to doubting Thomas shows that Christ can and will overwhelm any doubts in us. And all of them, above all, symbolize Jesus's character that communicates God's spiritual love no matter what we're going through. Jesus loves to appear to his people and he does not mind appearing to us wherever we might need it, whether it's a closed heart, whether it's doubts, or maybe you just haven't been feeling that original Eden intimacy. If you cry out to him he will appear just like he did to them 2000 years ago I love 1st Peter chapter 1 who so beautifully describes what relationship with Jesus on this side of heaven looks like For though you have not seen him you love him Isn't that true That is the miracle of faith Faith is not going, I believe these things, dotty, dot, dot, checklist, checklist. That's a dead faith. There's nothing personal about that. It will never change your heart. Might get you going, but it won't keep you. Real relationship with God that changes our hearts is a supernatural gift of faith in us that the inner eyes go on and somehow we now see him and are able to know him in a growing way for the rest of our lives. For though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Amen? Amen. However, there is one final appearance in the book of John. And boy, is it a whopper. Some believe John added it later as a special cueing of the Holy Spirit. And personally... I'm really glad he did because there's honestly more in this one chapter in terms of imagery and meaning that I could ever possibly cover in a single Sunday, so I'm not gonna try. But I will give you what I felt the Lord wanted me to give you this morning. So let's with that move on. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. Everyone say sea. And he showed himself in this way I want you to pay attention whenever you're reading the Gospels. Whenever we find the Son of God by the sea or walking along the sea, you are capturing one of the most beautiful and perfect images of the Christian life. It is this beautiful mix of both leisure and seriousness, which is meant to characterize the fullness of the Christian life our new lives in Christ, one of joyous working. When God originally placed Adam and Eve in the garden, notice he did not say, just go ahead and lounge around and do nothing because you're in me. No, he said, work the ground, work the ground, help it to blossom, bear fruit, make this world better in my name and through the gifts I have given you. I love when Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias because Jesus is like always got this leisure, like having a relationship with God genuinely changes everything. It's beautiful and wonderful, but you always have this sense that Jesus is always about the Father's business. He's on a mission, he's walking somewhere. He's touching lives, he's touching hearts. The Christian life is not just going, I have Jesus. Now I get to sit in my lazy boy. But listen to me, church, because half of you were like, that word was for me. This word's for the other half. It is also not Jesus constantly burning himself out, trying to earn the Father's love or to get people everywhere to just love him. He also knew how to leisure The fulfillment of the Christian life in Christ is both. And the symbol, the image of Jesus walking along the sea is this beautiful picture of leisure in the Father's love, but also the mission of saving souls along the way and making sure we don't lose ours along the way. So adding to the garden imagery of intimacy, the dwelling imagery of God now being able to dwell in closed hearts, the belief imagery that though we do not see him, we love him and are filled with an inexpressible joy, we now get this another beautiful scene, this imagery of a rapturous seashore. One of my favorite scenes in the Bible. Jesus on the seashore. Is my life in Jesus, in the life that other people see, does it look like that? This beautiful mix of leisure, trust, but also of, I'm about my father's business. Verse two, gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples, And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. That definitely sounds like a lot of people Red Bluff. (laughs) You see, Jesus had appeared a number of times. That's true. But as far as they could tell, the guy wasn't finished yet. So you have to imagine what this is like for them. They see him die and they're like, What are we gonna do? And then he appears, they're like, Oh my goodness, and then he like he does different things with them, but then he disappears. I mean, could you imagine? They're like, What do we do? And Peter, in his very candid way, just goes, Well, I'm going fishing. And that is not his way of going, Well, I'm just gonna go relax. He's going fishing because that's what he knew. That's what he knew. He went back to at least what he knows he's good at. And so he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know until further instructions from Jesus. Isn't this just like when we give our lives to Jesus Christ? We're only going so far as he tells us and no further until he appears again to give us further instructions. It is amazing to me how often God will give us some kind of a word or a leading and then we will go, I'm gonna do that. And then he doesn't give you further instructions and we think that that means fill in the blank. There are a number of you in this room, they're like, why is my life this, that, and ah. It is because you continue to fill in a blank that Jesus said comma or period for right now. And you're way over the line. When we first get saved, this is so true. You come up and maybe you give your life in the pew or you come up and you give it uh, at the altar or it might be somebody, you heard it online. It doesn't matter how it come. You give your life to Jesus exactly how it feels like. You have this, some, some kind of moment with Jesus you know is real and then it kind of like he disappears and you're like, now what? Literally, like some of us, we've been walking with Jesus so long, we forget what it was like when we first gave our lives to Jesus. Literally what it's like, he appeared and now he's gone. What do I do with my life now? You go back to what you were doing until further instructions. Do I leave my marriage? No. Do I leave my job? No. Do I do some crazy thing because I already didn't like that part of my life? No. You wait until further instructions. Otherwise, your first step in this new life in Jesus is about to go bad. Because one of the most important lessons you're gonna learn throughout your walk with Jesus is the lesson of obedience. But God, I don't like my workplace. Good. Because maybe the thing Jesus is working on right now is not your salary, it's your character. But there's other people here, you're like, I've been working on my character a long time, I'm ready for a better salary. Jesus is like, that's coming. <laughs> a lot of you are like, preach it. <laughs> Some of you, it's a relationship. You're like, you're back in the dance of dating, This is the greatest relationship, and this and this and this, and you get the first little leadings of the Holy Spirit going like, are they at least a believer? Yes. Okay, move forward. But go to this point. Wait till further instructions. But I'm pretty sure Jesus told me they're the one. Even if they did, first, if they're gonna, if you're gonna marry them, they knew to have heard that. And then on the flip side of it, stuff can happen along the way that kind of ruins the thing that God originally intended. And if you're like, that's not possible, look at Israel. Also, a particular ministry. Sometimes God's calling us to a particular ministry. I see this particularly with like Celebrate Recovery, where people are like, that's not for me. I'm like, maybe that is the Lord's word for you right now. And you're worried that it's gonna be a a, a dot, dot, dot for the rest of your life, because I, I need some help. Because I have to admit I'm broken, therefore I'm gonna feel this broken for the rest of it, that is not When the Lord calls you to something for your help, for your healing, for your wholeness, it's so that you can get that time to get what you need in order to then be more effective for him. And there's nothing wrong with admitting you're broken. In fact, it's really the only way to get into the kingdom of the God in the first place. So if you're like, I'm not broken, then I'm like, you're not saved. (laughs) Let me say that again. If you're not broken, then you're not saved because jesus said i did not come for the healthy i came for the sick what the heck was the point of him coming and dying that death if you didn't need it at that level so regardless of your special circumstances we need to learn from the waves when god said to them this far and no further And if you learn to listen to his voice that way, you're going to be blessed in your heart, in your life, in your home, in all of them. And God's really good that when you're accidentally like, whoop, too far, come on back. As long as you hear the whoops, too far, come on back, you'll be fine. God is perfect, but he is not a perfectionist. You see, perfectionism is a satanic way of getting in your head. You're never enough. You're never enough. And what you don't realize is actually turning you back in towards yourself to try to be enough when God is the one who perfects you. And it is through his intimacy. is through his love. I love this next line. It's real simple. Then the other, so Peter says, I'm, I'm going back fishing. He's appeared, I don't know what to do in the meantime, I'm going fishing. And the other disciple said, we'll go with you. <laughs> this means when you don't have vision, then follow someone else who does for a little while. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you find yourself in a place where you're lacking vision in your relationship with the Lord, then follow someone else who does have healthy relationship with the Lord until you get that vision. It's much better than you just wandering around aimlessly So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I laughed when I read that. Nothing? These are professional fishermen, or at least one of them was, we know Peter was. And he caught nothing? What in the world? How disheartening. It's like Jesus is resurrected. We have this new life in him. I'm gonna go fishing. And now even my old life doesn't work as well as it used to. Ain't that the truth? Who here after you gave your life to Jesus and it was that moment, you're like, that was great. And then after the church services are like, what do I do? And you go back to what you used to do, but then you discover when you went back to what you used to do, it doesn't even feel like it used to. Which by the way is good news. Amen. You see, there are people in this room, you've given your life to Jesus recently, and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I literally feel like I'm walking in the dark. I gave my life to Jesus, and I'm waiting on the next appearance. I'm coming to church, I'm doing stuff. But man, now, like when I go back to my old job, when I use that kind of language, it bothers me. When people like do this stuff before, I'd be like, oh, people pleasing. Now I'm like, no, I'm angry. I didn't like that. Like all this stuff is happening. That is a sign. <laughs> When you going back to your old life no longer feels like it used to in a way that, that, that kind of aggravates you or frustrates you or Jesus, that's because you already have new life in him. Amen. The change has already begun. When this happens, it's because Jesus is truly ty- trying to teach you. He's giving you a new kind of life a supernatural way of living. It is not, he's just walking with you with your old life, like, oh, I've got my old life and Jesus is just my partner. No, it's more than that. He's partnering with you, but he's also teaching you a new kind of life, a new kind of living. They caught nothing. Our old life no longer feels the same. It's no longer the joys it used to be the entire texture of it has changed. And I personally know this can be scary. I went through it in my 20s. That feeling of, I thought I understood the world. I had the wisdom of the world. I was getting my degree. I had this and this and I was becoming like proficient this and this and all of a sudden I give my life to Jesus and now I'm like, now what? Completely uprooted, I feel anchorless. I feel literally like someone walking on water which is actually kind of cool, but it doesn't feel good the first time you do it, like Peter, but don't worry. Because as you're about to see, Jesus does always reappear. Verse four, just after daybreak, these poor guys have been fishing all night, caught nothing. Same way you go back to your old life. I'm like, I want to enjoy things the way that I used to. And your conscience is like, no. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. There he is again on the seashore. I love this picture. The disciples are on the waves and they've caught nothing. They're trying, they're trying, they're trying. Something's changed, something's changed. I can't even go back to the way I like things. And then they see a man standing on the seashore, firm, solid. And you have this attraction in your heart. I want that. I believe what John is suggesting here is that Jesus had now become the solid ground they were looking for. Never again would the world or its accolades or yourself or anyone else satisfy your need for security except for Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus, the world felt firm before that point. Before you gave your life to Jesus, the world felt kind of firm. But the minute you give your life to Jesus, now the world feels like an ocean. And you're like, how do I, where's my anchor? Where's my solid ground? And then you have those moments with Jesus and all of a sudden you feel firm, solid ground because he has become your rock and no other. We totally need to get this. He's the one on the solid ground. It is fixing our eyes on Jesus that brings us the calm in every situation. All of the things that the world used to tell us to master have now become shifting sands and he alone is our rock and our security. Jesus stands on the beach. Verse five, Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? Thanks, Jesus. How do you like your old life? I don't really like it very much. Well, good, I'm gonna make sure that you feel that so much you never go back they answered no we didn't catch any fish and he said to them cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some oh Jesus you really know how to grade our goat as my wife says I've been fishing all night and nothing and then Jesus comes along firmly on the shore and he goes cast it on the right side and they're like we've cast on both sides just do it I know what I'm talking about. I've been doing this a long time. La, 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 la. Jesus is just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. Are you going to do what I asked you? Jesus, has already done it. But you didn't do it when I asked you to do it. That's the difference. That's the difference between natural life and supernatural life. Natural life is you are listening to your own voice or somebody else's voice, and they're all human. But Jesus is the son of God. He's the divine voice. When he tells you to do something, I don't care if you've done it a billion times. It's his voice that changes it, not the action. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. How embarrassing and awesome at the same time. And it says, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And that's how it feels, doesn't it? Things you used to do, you would like kill yourself trying to do. And you've given your life to Jesus and then he says it and then you do it. And it's like, why did I ever used to live any other way? It's Jesus. What's different about your life when people ask you? It's Jesus. What explains the, it's Jesus. You do all the same things that I do, except maybe tithe. You do all the same things that I do. What's different about you? Why has fate picked you out? Why is destiny this? Why have the gods favored you? And you may not even be like, well, those people taking a class in apologetics, all that fancy language. All you know to say is what? It's Jesus. And that is an answer because it makes all the devils in hell tremble at that name. And I love this. What it tells me is that Jesus said, go, listen to me at my word. It's my word that changes things. And Peter says, it is the Lord. And in that moment, he recognizes Jesus. What this teaches me is that the more we follow Jesus and follow his voice, that is when we get to see him more and more in our lives. And not just sometimes. I'm not talking about just appearances like you went to a retreat or you had a powerful altar call. I'm not talking about just appearances, plural. I'm talking about that when you get in the habit daily, of risking following the Holy Spirit's voice, it's his, it's, his, it's his omnipresence starts to grow in your life. When Jesus said, I am with you always, that promise begins to grow. The more you obey the Lord and obey his voice, the more you begin to see him in every face and in every setting of your life because he says, I'm with you always. Jesus, where are you? I am either at the last word I gave you and you're obedient or I am at the next word of obedience that's coming. But we have to be willing to heed his voice Verse eight. when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. I love this. Notice how ecstatic Peter was when he saw Jesus, when he recognized Jesus. They're still in the boat. And Peter's like, oh, it's Jesus. And he literally puts on his clothes and jumps into the water. He doesn't even wait long enough to get to the shore. He literally leaves everything else behind and jumps straight into the water. But notice the other disciples wouldn't leave the fish you couldn't possibly leave the fish, right? I mean, think how much money they could bring in, you know, to like feed the poor and stuff. I can hear the, when an angel nearby going, okay, Judas. <laughs> this characterizes two types of believers. You have the believer who, when they see Jesus, they hear Jesus, they drop everything and they follow. They obey, but then you've also got the other disciples, the other believers that when Jesus calls them, they wanna bring five bags of stuff with them and it slows them down. Jesus, I'll follow you if I don't have to work on my anger problem. and It slows them down. Jesus, I I'll follow you if I can still hold bitterness in my heart towards this person, but it slows you down. Jesus, I'll follow you if you will give me this and if you will give me that because I can't possibly live without these things and I'll follow you, but it slows you down. Versus Peter, who literally is like, it's Jesus, forget the fish. Who knows how much more fish there are to come? Why do we hold on to things that God gave you in the first place? And not only if you drop them, will he give you them again, maybe, depending on what it is. But even if he doesn't, whatever he has ahead is better. It's better. Let me say it again. It's better. But Pastor Chris, I'm not worthy. You are never worthy. You are never worthy. You are blessed, even in on your unworthiness right now. You are not going to stop being blessed moving forward because that's who God is. He's a good father and he blesses our heart. He betters us our heart with his goodness. Peter was willing to jump in. Jesus was all he needed. The other disciples, they smuggled some stuff in. Some of you, you are a smuggler. Oh yeah, you're either like the squirrel that knows how to pack in the mouth and hide it. <laughs> or you're like the person with the trench coat and a hundred pockets and you're like, go ahead, search me, Jesus. You won't find everything. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's looking at you going, I see all of it. Yeah. What you don't realize is how much it's weighing you down and bulking things up. And if you're willing to drop it, even though I know it hurts, sometimes it's scared to trust, but if you're willing to do it, oh, does it feel good? The tears of freedom are like no other tears, right? Right? The tears of freedom are like no other tears. Verse nine, when they, got, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Although and though there were so many the net was not torn. I'm telling you so much. You guys, there's so much symbolism throughout all of this. I can't even cover it. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." That stands out. "Come and have breakfast." Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they all knew it was him. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Out of that paragraph, the part that stands out to me the most is come and have breakfast. This is so fascinating to me. We're gonna come back to that at the end. Verse 15, when Jesus had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? By the way, the the passage we're about to go into is one of the hardest passages I have to read, except for John chapter one, when it says that the one who created them came and they did not want him, they did not know him. God made us and made Israel. And when he came to them, they rejected him. How profoundly sad and tragic, right? This next is just as hard for me. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I can't tell if he's talking about the fish or the other disciples. I think both of them apply. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Enter in. Imagine you're Peter right now. It will break your heart and yet in the exact type of way we need. Every one of us. Do you, whatever your name is in this room, fill in the blank with your name. Do you, Love me more than these. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Interesting. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now Peter felt hurt, which I would too. If you have entered into this scene, if you heard it as if he was talking to you, you would too. Peter felt hurt because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, and this is what's interesting. If Jesus is the son of God and Peter is completely steeped in the Old Testament scriptures, he knows how many times in the Old Testament God is the one who knows every single thought and heart. Can you imagine how terrifying it would be If Jesus is asking you three times whether or not you love him and he knows what's in your heart better than you do, I don't know about you, but I would be scared. And he says to him, this shows Peter's courage. Lord, you know everything. There it is. You know I love you. Please, God, please confirm that's true. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. There was a time in my Christian walk where I did not know it, but deep down I feared I didn't really love Jesus. I was good at obeying him. I was good at checklist Christianity, but deep down I had an insecurity that I wasn't sure if I really actually loved him. And he already knew. And he found his ways of finally cornering me into my heart. And he cornered me to basically have this conversation conversation. Chris, do you love me? And I was terrified because I was worried I didn't and I was about to hear it. And I kid you not, it was not until after that breaking moment of facing my fear. And I was like, Lord, I do love you. And I heard the pristine voice of Jesus confirm, yes, you love me. And I've never, ever struggled with it since. Here we see Jesus' sign to Peter that we really love him, which is, please hear this, Red Bluff, because we're not that good at it. This church, we're better at it, but we have a lot of work to do. What Jesus, I believe, is telling Peter is that if we really love him, then we are willing to share our lives with others. There's too much brokenness in Red Bluff that we've been hurt by somebody. And so we closed our heart off and went me and Jesus, me and Jesus. And what is Jesus saying to Peter? If you love me, share your life with others. Who here knows that's a hard word, but we need to hear it not from a therapist, though they help, they can be God's instruments, but we, we need to hear that word from the divine one who brings into being what was not. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep if you love me. Jesus, you want me to live a sharing life? I do. But people hurt and stink and are difficult and they're like me. Yeah, we're all in this together. These are not unattached terms of evangelism. There are too many cheap, unloving evangelists out there that they think sharing their faith is just telling people the word of God when Jesus is going, feed them. Meaning, have you ever fed a lamb? You gotta get close enough, the stinker can bite you. <laughs> right? That's feeding. It says, tend my sheep. That means you gotta get close enough to be like, okay, let's, like, maybe we should go in this direction. Maybe we should go in that way. That means like giving advice to people about how they're living, Advice. He's saying, you got to get in there and you got to share your life. This is not just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to do it. look at, I feel good today. Cause I said, no, Whoa. if you really love Jesus, true evangelism is you're sharing your life with people and practicing something called vulnerability. These are not cold expressions of criticism or critique. But strong words of solidarity, feed. Of intimacy, tend. And vulnerability, feed. Please don't bite. And if, you, and if you do bite, I shall forgive. And I will go kicking and screaming until forgiveness is easier for me. But I promise I'm going to try and keep trying. Until I get my resurrected body, and it's not an issue anymore. Which is why... Knowing how hard this is for Peter and for us, listen to what Jesus adds as we come towards the end. This is hilarious. Jesus knows how hard this word of vulnerability, of sharing our life with others is because he says this. Very truly, I tell you, Peter, when you were younger, you used to fasten your old belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten it and take you where you do not wish to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God, which historically is that Jesus did in fact was crucified upside down. He was gonna be crucified upright and tradition says that he actually said, I'm not worthy of such a posture, please crucify me upside down. But I believe that a word to us is not so much how we die, it's that we are all on some level dying to our desire to live an unshared life. And if we want to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us, then we have to start risking shared life with one another. Who here in this room struggles with feelings of loneliness during the week? Raise your hand. Go ahead, just raise your hand because it's gonna be a lot of hands. So much of this is because we have been duped that safety is in an unshared heart and unshared life. And it is the exact opposite That true intimacy and security is in living a life shared with other people, but rooted in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's the difference is when God goes, I go, I don't want to hang out with that person because this is how it always goes. And sometimes the Lord's like, you're right. You need to have better boundaries with that person. That's my word to you, is stop hanging out with that person the way that you keep hanging out with that person. Go this far, no further. But there are equally other situations where I'm like, God, I don't really want to do this. this." And the Holy Spirit's like, no, I want you to. Go forth and bear much fruit for my kingdom. The key here is stop following your own wisdom and feelings and start listening to what Jesus is saying and just risk it. Because nothing compares to a little bit of worldly uncomfortability to a whole upsurge of divine life within you because you've been obedient. After this, he said to Peter, now follow me. (laughs) Okay, covered the groundwork. We're gonna start leading you to some areas you don't like, but it's gonna be good for you. Now just follow me because I'm your solid ground. In other words, this uncomfortable path is not a choice. At least not a choice in the sense if you want to obtain the eternal prize. My fear is some of us in this room who say we love Jesus, we may not see each other at the end of this race because we got duped into living a completely closed heart our whole lives. And then we thought that that means we can now experience heaven, which is a completely open and shared life for eternity. We have to at least start the path of vulnerability on this side of heaven. If you want that, if you want to obtain the end goal, the eternal prize of heaven with Jesus forever, then we have to learn to love. That means feeding, not forcing. Feeding, not forcing. This never hit so home to me until I became a parent. I have never been so tempted every single moment of every single day of my life to force instead of feed. It is too easy for me to force feed this and that. And the Lord's like, no, you are not to exasperate your children. You need to learn to feed. Help them to understand. Help them to know the wise. Hear their hearts and let them know that their feelings count just as much as yours. True parenting is feeding, true friendship is feeding, true evangelism is feeding, true leadership is feeding, never forcing. How do you know? Because our head, who is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, never forces. He invites and he feeds. Amen? And tend, feed not force, tend, not beat. Tend. Okay, this way and that way. Okay, uh uh-huh, this and this and this. At any point, we're like, I'm just gonna, no. (laughs) Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who reclined next to Jesus at the supper and he said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the, spru- so the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die, which of course is funny because if John was the one that wrote this gospel, he's actually making this comment about himself going, I'm not actually gonna die. I know there's a rumor going around. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. He just said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? At the end of the day, our job is to follow Jesus. Jesus. Stop looking around at all the other sheep. You follow Jesus, you hear his word for you and for your life. In other words, Peter, be very careful not to get up, caught up in things that don't concern you or at the very least are not as important as what I've been personally saying to you. One of the things that is very hard for me is how often we as Christians get so hung up on stuff going on in the world And honestly, we are not doing a great job each day of letting the Holy Spirit search our own hearts. That is the great fear I have, is that we are better at judging things out there than we are of this internal hearing of the voice of the Lord in the areas he's wanting to correct us and bring freedom to us. There is nothing wrong about being passionate about God's will being done on the earth. We need to be a people of conviction, amen? But you guys, we have also got to be very careful about what's going on inside of us about how we respond to things. It is amazing to me in third grade, my daughter picks up on things from other kids about politics and she is already learning to mimic hate tone language about things she she doesn't even have an idea. I remember she came home and she's like, I hate Biden. I was like, you're nine. And I know we don't bring that stuff into our house. When they're old enough and ready for that, we'll talk and share. But I'm like, where are you picking up this stuff? There are other nine-year-old friends. I guarantee you none of them are watching CNN. They're picking it up from their parents and everywhere else do we want a culture of nine year olds you're going like we hate the president that is not a good future for us I don't want them hating anybody except Satan now if you're going Pastor Chris what about this yeah, feed them help them to understand critical thinking where are you getting your facts? Trustworthy sources. Our job is to raise. And you're like, wow, you're really passionate about that. I so am. And then he ends. This is the disciple who's testifying to these things and has written them. And we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And not just because of the gospel, but because every single one of us are a continued book of Jesus's activities today. Every one of us is a book. And don't we all want to make it to the end? Where all of a sudden the page ends and you turn and it's just a bunch of blank pages or it's just done because this life is over and the real one is now begun so how in the world, Pastor Chris, do you tie all this together? This entire chapter and even the entire book. And I would say simple in one line, come and have breakfast with me. Because I believe in that one line, come and have breakfast is the fulfillment of everything God has desired to do with humanity through the Old Testament, made possible in Jesus. And now through that point of the Holy Spirit available to every one of us is that now we get to have fellowship with God every single day with no obstacles except our own heart. John even said the purpose of his gospel is this, that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that beautiful? There it is in the summary. Why did God send His son? Why is his son risen? Why is he right now on his throne? Why has He sent out the Holy Spirit so that we can experience His life? I would say life in Jesus' name. We have direct access every single moment, of every single day to His resurrection power, which has overcome the world. And it fulfills the entire purpose of God's plan from the beginning, that men might again fellowship with God come and have breakfast. That is Jesus' word for all of us this morning. Come and have breakfast with me. If you are not having regular fellowship with me, you have missed the whole point of this puppy. You can do all the spiritual exercise you want, but if you are not having intimate fellowship, heart searching with Jesus, you're missing it. And you're really not gonna enjoy heaven because that's what heaven's gonna be. So I end on this real quick. Come and spend time with me, especially in the mornings. I believe it's at breakfast. Who here has done this long enough to know that there really is a difference between spending time with Jesus in the morning versus in the evening, you're right? There's something about spending time with Jesus in the morning. I know there's a lot of people who are like, it doesn't matter, like whatever. If you do it, you know there's a difference. Because if you're like, I'm gonna have time with Jesus at the end of the day. Well, all that means is that hell got that part of the day. Right? <laughs> So I'd rather start off with going our Father in heaven thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me lead me not into temptation but deliver me from the evil one how about we start at the beginning of the day come and have well obviously you guys need that word not dinner, not supper, breakfast. If you will start spending morning time with Jesus based on the scriptures that we have read today, one, life will work. And what did not before will now. And you're like, that's it. Yes, start having breakfast with Jesus every day. In all the areas of your life, they're not working. Either God's gonna start giving you peace about how you feel about them or they will just start working. Who here wants that? Yes. Two, is you will start experiencing the seashore of Jesus Christ. You will start experiencing again the joy of getting to live for him, the joy of getting to work for him. And when your life is topsy-turvy, you feel his solid ground. If you'll start spending mornings with Jesus, you will begin to experience the seashore of the kingdom. Three, this one's super important. In fact, it's so important that Samantha, who was actually doing it, she thought that it needed to be correct. And I was like, no, keep it. Three, if you start spending mornings with Jesus in his presence, you will experience food not to eat, food to feed. You see, so many of us think that the fullness of joy in this life is I'm being fed, I'm being fed, I'm being fed. No, that will just make you obese in the kingdom of God. When you spend time with Jesus, it's beautiful, even way more exhilarating thing. You get fed so that you have food later in the day with other people around you to feed. You see, too many of us in this room, we don't even have enough food to feed others with. We're just trying to make it. But if you start spending time with Jesus, he says, Peter, have some breakfast with me. And then he says to them what? Now go feed. Go tend. But breakfast came first. Who here, you know, when you skip breakfast, you're cranky. Stop doing the spiritual version of that. And spend some time with your spiritual bacon and eggs and uh, like red meat or if you're vegetarian, whatever God you eat in the morning. That is Jesus for you spiritually. Have breakfast with him. And you will start experiencing food for yourself, but even more that food to feed others. And lastly, you will believe My testimony is true. What that means, that as we start spending time with Jesus, we'll start to increasingly sense he is truly real and he is truly right (laughs) all the time. And then what he really wants you to focus on. When you start spending time with Jesus, you're gonna care more about what's going on in the chambers of your heart than in the chambers of D.C., You'll start caring more about what's going on in here or maybe your direct relatives like your spouse or your children. You'll care more about what's going on in them than over here. And it's not that these are bad. I just sense that there's imbalance when we stop having breakfast with Jesus. Do you hear me? We need both, amen? We're gonna close in prayer. If we can have some worship uh, just in the background, that'd be great. Maybe Liz, if you could come up. Isn't John a beautiful gospel? As we close in prayer and just a simple response time, I felt a tug on my heart in praying for the closing, an invitation to those who, by the end of this message, it's become increasingly clear something's off about your relationship with Jesus. Maybe something stood out to you very specifically for you to go, wow, that was for me. And you sense grace poured out in your heart to start doing something about it. But there might be somebody in this room that you're just like, by the end of this message, you're just like, something's off. I don't know what it is yet, I don't know, but something feels off in my relationship with the Lord. And this morning, I'm just gonna put it in Jesus' hands to please make it right, to begin the process of whatever is off. It's just by faith, I'm gonna trust, I'm putting it in his hands, and he's to begin to make it right, and a day is coming, hopefully soon, that I will look back and go, he answered that prayer, that offness is gone. Can you guys just close your eyes real quick, if you don't mind? If that particular invitation stood out to you, would you please raise your hand, and I'm just gonna pray over all of the people that raise their hand. And raising your hand is just a way of giving that to the Lord. Father God, I just pray for those who have raised their hand. You know, and that is their comfort and their joy right now is you know what it is that's off. So Lord, I just pray right now, whatever it is, they would place it in your hands. They would give it over to you and you would give them assurance you have taken it You've got it, and now you are gonna take care of it. And I pray peace to their souls in this area. Lord, if there are anybody here tonight, I mean tonight, I do young adults, so it's usually at night. So if there's anybody here this morning, that they recognize a deadly sin in their life. That's something that you have made very, very clear is just eating away at their relationship with you. Lord, I pray they wouldn't just stare at its ugliness or feel its weight, but Lord, I pray that this morning they would give it over to you and let you, the great physician, cut it away and cut it off and let the healing begin. That they would literally leave here free because they leaned into the very temporary uncomfortability of admitting Wow, I really need help in this area. I'm done. Jesus, come and please take it away. I'm so sorry. Let us begin again and teach me the way. Father God, I pray a blessing over everybody's here this morning. Remind them again that the fire they bring to worship counts. They matter. Every single person in this room matters. And too, Lord, I pray that they begin to have breakfast with you. And that however that looks to them, the Holy Spirit, you would lead. Whether that's just getting into the word in the morning or simple, soft prayers, whatever it might be. Lord, I pray they would heed your call to begin to have breakfast with you. And that as they do, Everything will begin to change and they'll have more than enough inner life to not just feed themselves, but to feed those around them as well. So Lord, from here going forward, let us be feeders, not forcers, and tenders, not beaters. We're so thankful to get to be in your presence today and to get to go into your word. Lord, bless us. I pray a blessing of healing, wholeness, generosity, love, fellowship, everything. In your beautiful name we pray, Jesus, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I pray you have a blessed week.